0: Welcome to Sunday Sermons at Journey. Join us every week as we bring you inspiring messages from our community of believers. We believe in the need to gather together to worship, learn, and grow in our faith as a family, and we're excited to share that experience with you. Whether you're a longtime member of our community or a first-time listener, we hope these messages will encourage and challenge you on your own spiritual journey. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in for some thoughtful reflection and inspiring insights. Let's get started.
1: We are still in the letter of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, please open that to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. Really, I want to ask a question that's going to frame the whole morning because I think it's a good question. And I think I have part of an answer that's a good first step for us to continue to figure out how to answer this a little bit better. And here's the question. How do you know that you're growing and maturing? How do you know that you are growing and maturing? Monday is May, which means graduation season is upon us. And uh, if you think about how do we know we're maturing and growing in other areas of our life? Let's take academics and school. We have so many moments and markers to celebrate and to recognize we are maturing and growing and getting better with academics. Uh, How many of you have kindergartners or parents of a kindergartner? Cover your ears. What's the point with kindergarten graduation? So, okay, you can uncover your ears. But if you look at the academics, you you have kindergarten graduation and then they move through their standardized testing and they pass their standardized testing and every year they mark their growth by, hey, you get to go to the next grade. And then finally, you get to high school graduation, you graduate, maybe you go into the workforce, maybe you continue education. There are these moments where you mark maturity and growing in your academic life. What about those of us that are in the workforce? We have so many milestone and markers that know we're growing and maturing. You start out with an internship, you get an entry-level job, and then you get title changes, you get more responsibility, you get promotions and pay raises. All of these moments that are helping you identify, I am growing, I am maturing. And then even with our relationships, right? We're single, we got a crush, we start dating, and then we're engaged, we get married, we have kids, we have grandkids, and there's all these moments like, I am growing and maturing. What about our faith? You accept Jesus, you get baptized, and, and then what? You join a small group, You come to church on Sunday? I think this is a really good question. How do we know if you follow Jesus that you are growing and maturing? Because here's what I see, and this might be really mean, but I'm sorry, but I know a lot of people that do church and they're in church and they're involved and volunteer and are on all the programs, yet they lack transformation. It is possible for people in this room to show up every Sunday, to be in your small group, and to not be growing and maturing. So how do we know we are growing and maturing? Ephesians chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Captain Obvious, do you think oneness is important to Paul? If you look at those three verses, seven times Paul uses the word one. He is just wanting to shove it down our throats, get it in our heads. You are to be people that are one, that are united in oneness. And here's the reality. Unity is something that we desire and we want. I don't think I have to spend my time in my sermon to convince you that we should have unity and that you should want unity. I think we all assume that we want it and we need it. So the question is, what gets in the way from us having unity? What gets in the way from us having oneness with each other and with God? Well, luckily there's some really smart people that are way smarter than me. There's this guy named C.S. Lewis. You've probably heard of him. If you are looking into books and would read, I would highly recommend his book, Mere Christianity. It's a must read. Uh, He has a whole chapter dedicated to this. And He argues, and I'm going to argue, that the main thing that gets in the way from us having unity and oneness with each other and with God is this one word, pride. Pride. And C.S. Lewis is an English guy that lived a long time ago, so he doesn't say pride. The chapter of uh, of this section is called The Great Sin. And rather than reading the whole chapter, I only chose two quotes and that's me being generous to you. So you should be thankful, okay? So the first quote is he's gonna talk about how pride gets in the way of unity with us and our relationships with each other. And then the second quote is gonna be how pride gets in the way of unity and oneness with our God. So first up, pride with each other. So I'm gonna read this slow because it's so good. Pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. So let's follow his logic. So there's this thing pride and pride naturally creates an environment of competition. And in an environment of competition, that means there will be winners and losers. And so this is problematic for the church. And he says at the end, it is the comparison that makes you proud. But none of us in this room would ever know what it's like to compare ourselves. Um, The church definitely is not guilty of this. The people in this church, the people that get on the stage are definitely not guilty of falling into comparison and having the pleasure of being above the rest. I can imagine that some youth pastors, not this youth pastor, but I can imagine how some youth pastors would compare their youth group size and feel pleasure of being above them with more numbers. I can imagine There's some youth pastors that get pleasure out of having more kids come to camp than other churches do. I can imagine, again, hypothetically, I can imagine all these things. I can imagine that it would feel good when you get on the stage for there to be a lot of people in the room. I can imagine for someone that drives a really old Ford Focus that they see someone driving a new car and they wish they were like them. It's okay, you can laugh, yeah. How do you know that you are struggling with pride? You know you're struggling with pride when you are not satisfied with being good at something. Because people that struggle with pride only feel good when they know they're better than someone else. Good is not the standard better is. And so for those of you struggling with pride, here's what I want to tell you. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There is one. And yet the church, both local and global, is competitive. And we puff ourselves up with pride when we compare and we determine that we are better than them. We have more people. We have a bigger youth group. We do these programs and we make ourselves feel good. We all worship one God. We all share in the one hope and the one faith in Jesus Christ. And Lewis then turns into what I think is more important of how pride prevents unity and oneness with us and God. And it's a shorter quote, but it's just as good. And here's what he says. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Bold claim. If you are proud, you cannot know God. Pride isn't only an obstacle that gets in the way between unity with us, but also unity with God. So for unity and oneness to be present, we must get rid of pride and a competitive spirit. The spirit that wants to be better than other people and isn't satisfied with just being good at something. Where do we start to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have received? By being completely humble and gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I would highly recommend that we get better at being humble, being what Paul says, completely humble. And I can imagine there's some pushback. Adam, like I'm a millennial and I was raised with the snowflake generation. But Adam, we're all so unique and no one's like me and I'm wonderful. And sure, that's true. And so I can imagine you say, but Adam, if I'm a snowflake that's unique and beautiful and there's no one else like me, then how am I to be united? Because do I have to be like everyone else? Let's listen to what Paul says. Verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is what it says. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The problem is when we read, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. I know what you hear because this is what I heard when I was reading this week. Jesus gives out gifts in different portions, in different quantities. And this is not what the text is saying. Jesus is not giving out smaller amounts and larger amounts to different people depending on how much he likes them and how cool they are. That is not what he means by the grace that Jesus apportioned it. But I just wanna pause and just wanna address like the reality that some of us really do believe that. Some of us in this room really do feel like we have received less than. When we look at other people, when we look at their marriages, when we look at their kids, when we look at their hairlines, like we think, man, Jesus gave them a little bit more than he gave me. And here's just what I want to say clearly. The grace that Jesus has apportioned, the difference isn't how much grace God has given you. The difference is what grace God has given you. And this is extremely important. All of us have received the same amount of grace. What have you received might be different. Paul explains this in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Listen, this is so important. What is the gift, the grace that Jesus has apportioned to us, what is the gift that he has given us? People, his grace that he's given us is people. And what kind of people? People with different, unique roles and talents. What are some of them listed? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so Paul's concern with unity is balanced by an emphasis on diversity and the responsibility of each person that brings something different to the table. Unity is not the same thing as sameness. Unity is not sameness. We ought to celebrate the different roles and gifts within this church. Not all of us are pastors. Not all of us are apostles. Not all of us are evangelists. Not all of us are prophets, but we need each other. We have different roles. And what is the purpose of, of God giving us different roles for unity. In verse 12, the purpose of these different roles is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We are actually called not to compete with each other and flex our gifts and make it seem like some of us are better than others. We are called to build one another up and celebrate our unique, different roles, and giftings. Do you want to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God? Then I'm gonna tell you something you might not wanna hear. You need others. You need other people. This is the Christian faith in the American church right now. There's a horrible lie that you can just stay at home, do this on your own, find your favorite pastor on YouTube or on Spotify, or on Apple Apple Play Podcasts, And you can just consume content on your own and you can grow and mature as a follower of Jesus. And listen, you need others with different gifting, different grace, and different roles to build each other up. And this is all made possible because of this thing called humility. In humility, it's possible for us in the church with different gifts To view each other not as competition, but as people that contribute to us and that we contribute to them. So, how can different people with different gifts be united? Continue reading with me in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, if infants are tossed back and forth by the wind and the seas, how is it possible for us to be mature followers of Jesus that are stable, secure, and are not tossed by the storms and the wind? Well, two things. Paul says that we are joined together. Like the the image I get is that we are a body, the ligaments, we're holding each other together. The different parts in the body are joined together. And so it doesn't take just one of us to topple over. We are arm in arm, locked together as one body. So that way we are not infants, but we are mature. And who is the head of this body? It is Christ. And how do infants become mature followers of Jesus. I want to talk about this phrase Paul uses, and he says, speaking the truth in love. This is how infants get off milk and onto solid food. This is how those that just started following Jesus begin to grow and mature as they follow Jesus. By speaking the truth in love. And both of these words are so important. Truth and love. And the problem is many of us emphasize one and neglect the other. And so if you tend to emphasize truth and neglect love, let me describe you. For those of us that emphasize truth rather than love, we yes, you don't compromise on truth, but often you're rude. You come across as a know-it-all and you lack empathy. And if that's harsh for the people that Tend to emphasize love and not truth. Yes, your heart is big, but often you will change your position depending on what is popular, and you step out of saying hard things people might need to hear. You get carried away with the storms, and being tolerant is not the same thing as loving. And so I can imagine in this room, everyone tends to drift to either being more loving or more truthful. And Paul says, what is possible for us to be united in our different roles and giftings is for all of us to both emphasize truth and love and to hold those both equally and not emphasize one or the other. Living the truth and love is both the means of growth and the result of our growth. So this section is bookmarked by a phrase that I want to end on. From the first Greek sentence to the last sentence, there is a phrase, in love. This means that everything from verses 1 through 16 that we have read this morning is in the context of love. And the problem is many of us have different definitions and understanding of what love is. And so here's what I want to do. I really do want to answer the question, how do we know we're maturing and growing as we follow Jesus? Because unlike academics and our jobs, it's hard to have these markers and measures. And so uh, I kind of created this, uh, what I'm going to call stages of discipleship. And so I created this and if it's no good, then just don't listen to it and forget it. But so here's, here's my hypothesis based off this text. All of us begin with receiving receive, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. All of us begin our relationship with Jesus and begin our discipleship with Jesus. And I'm going to call this the receive phase of discipleship. And in the receive phase of discipleship, the love that defines this stage of discipleship is love from God. And this is important, right? Like for the first time you realize, oh my gosh, I am the beloved of God. I am someone that God loves. I receive and absorb and accept the love of God. And this is incredible, right? That those of us in this room, when we begin in the stage of discipleship, we are overwhelmed that God would love us, that he would choose us. And we think, I think of uh, verses like this, what is man that you're mindful of him? human beings that you care for him. I was lost, but not now I am found. I remember when Beck and I told each other that we first love each other. You know, it's like really nervous. Like before you say it, you're like, I was like, okay, I wanna be the one that says it first. I know I love her. I don't know if she's gonna say it back, but I'm gonna say it. And I remember when she was living in Dallas, we were long distance dating and I drop her off at her apartment complex. And I'll never forget, we were standing outside the apartment complex and I just like blurted it out because I was like, I gotta get it out. And I told her, I love you. And I was like scared, and it was a little bit of silence. And then she said it back. I know you're on the edge of your seat. (laughs) And here, on the drive back from Dallas, which was too late, and I'm surprised I made it home, on the drive back, all I could think about, Becca loves me. How crazy is it that someone would choose me and would give me their love? Now, that is a great place to stay but love that is only focused on receiving should not be the end goal of our maturity when it comes to love. And that's where the next stage of discipleship comes in. And I'm just going to call this me. And in the me phase of discipleship, okay, you've received the love of God, you've received the grace of God, and you are overwhelmed oh my gosh, I am someone that receives everything from God. This is incredible. And now you move into this space where you're like, oh my gosh. I have unique gifting roles and talents. Christ has apportioned different things to me. And so now you're focusing on, okay, who has God created me to be? What am I good at? What am I bad at? How can I grow in my relationship with Jesus? And the love of this phase is no longer love from God, but it transitions to a love, loving God for himself, love for God. And this is different, right? We all know the difference between being loved and giving love. And in this phase, we are overwhelmed that we want to grow in our love for God himself. And so in this phase, maybe you are you just can't help but read scripture. You're growing in prayer. You are wanting just to grow your gifting and talents. And you're just trying to identify what those are. But the trap and struggle in this phase of discipleship is that you will live out of self-service. You will live still for you as you identify your roles and gifts and talents. And the problem is many of us in our discipleship stop in the me phase. We've received the love of God. We are loving God himself. And we think that is the end. But there is a final stage of discipleship. And I'm just gonna call it we. So receive me, we. This is where you realize the secret Of the good life of following Jesus. That life is not about you. And the love that defines this stage of discipleship is love for others. Love for others. You thought you had joy receiving love from God, you thought you had joy giving your love and devotion to God and worship but you come to find out in this stage that there is a well of an inexhaustible resource of love like giving yourself away to other people and this is i just want to make make it clear if this is no good i made this up this is in scripture but this is not like a one and done like you start receive then me and we this is something that is cyclical that you in and out of season will transition in and out of And maybe you need to come back to a season of receiving. So again, I want to ask the question as we end. What is required of you today for you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received?
0: That's it for this week's Sunday Sermons at Journey. We hope you found the message inspiring and uplifting. And if you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to our podcast to stay updated on our latest episodes, and then share it with your friends and family. If you have any thoughts, questions, or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at journey at journeycs.org. We'll be back next week with another message, so be sure to tune in. Until then, have a great week, and let's walk together and make a difference.